I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello. Welcome to another episode of Say Why to Drugs. And it's an extremely exciting one for me, as today, if you're listening the day this goes out, Say Why to Drugs, the book, is launched in the UK. Now, as regular listeners to the podcast will know, it's been going for around four years now. And about two years ago, I was really excited to be offered the opportunity to turn this podcast into a book. Having the space in writing to go into even more detail than on the podcast, add in all the research that's been published since the episodes have been launched, and some extra bits and bobs too. I'm really, really proud of this podcast, and so I'm so excited for the book to be available for everyone to buy. Of course, if you're a fan of listening to my dulcet tones, there's also an audiobook available, which I have read. And my lovely publishers at Hodder and Stoughton have very kindly let me share a few excerpts with you on the podcast today. So first off, because I've missed his voice over here, I'm sharing with you the foreword to the book, which is written by your friend and mine, Mr. Scroobius Pip. Enjoy. <laughs> Say why to drugs, everything you need to know about the drugs we take and why we get high, by Dr. Susie Gage, foreword by Scroobius Pip. That's me. You are not entitled to your opinion. You are entitled to your informed opinion. No one is entitled to be ignorant. Harlan Ellison. The internet has given us access to so much information and provided us the ability to have an opinion on such a wide variety of subjects, but we seem to focus heavily on the latter and not so much on the former. Drugs are one such topic. People love to have an opinion, but the waters are so muddied with fear-mongering and bias that it's hard to figure out how to inform that opinion reliably. It's for this reason that I am so overwhelmingly proud for even the smallest part I played in helping Say Why to Drugs exist. Way back in 2015, it was the internet that made me aware of Dr Susie Gage and led her to becoming a guest on my Distraction Pieces podcast. In that very first recorded conversation, the seeds were watered for the idea of a podcast that provided an unbiased, fact-based education on the taboo subject of drugs. Not getting mixed up in opinion and often emotion-led arguments of right or wrong, good or evil, but simply focusing on facts and studies. 
I had just begun working on the idea of using the reach of my podcast to expand and build a network of podcasts, giving a platform to people I felt were more than deserving of one. As you can imagine, I was keen for one of the first additions to that network to be the realisation of Susie's podcast ideas. At this stage, I was already starting to worry that as podcasts were growing, the quote that opened this forward was getting more and more ignored. So many opinions, so few informed ones. Thus, having suggested the name of Say Why to Drugs to Susie, I was even more motivated to do anything I could to help bring a researched, informed and rational podcast on a much mythologised subject to the ever-growing podcast world. When Susie was ready to launch, she decided it would work best format-wise if she had a guest on each episode to discuss it all with her. What better way to confirm or dispel a myth than for it to be presented by someone who believes it and addressed by someone who has studied it? I was lucky enough to be asked to be said guest. As the episodes went on, Susie decided I was a good fit to have a regular position as a guest for a few reasons. The clearest reason was that, in my youth, I had tried a fair number of the drugs in question and was happy to discuss openly my experiences. I feel it also helped that, through nothing but personal choice, I now do not take any drugs apart from the occasional drop of alcohol, and I truly mean occasional as I tend to drink only eight or nine times a year. This was all well and good, and to be involved felt great, but it was the reaction when it launched that was truly overwhelming. Listenership exceeded all expectations and feedback was coming in from parents and teachers who wished that they had had such a resource when they were in their young experimental years. Young and old, those that had used drugs and those that had not, the podcast seemed to reach so many people, people who needed to hear it. And now it's a book, a real life actual book that you could be reading but you're too lazy so you're listening to the audiobook version but still... The real life actual book exists. I truly believe that what Susie has created here will live on as an essential tool in the war on ignorance, the natural successor and antidote to start repairing the damage done by the war on drugs. Scroobius Pip, July 2019. And there we are. Some little insights there into how the podcast started as well. So in the book, as well as individual chapters about each of around 24 drugs ranging from alcohol to Xanax, there are little mini chapters about key concepts related to drugs. So here's an example of one of these, and this one's about comedowns. Focus on comedowns. Why do some people feel rubbish for a day or two after taking a substance? From alcohol to amphetamine, MDMA to ketamine, stimulants and depressants can lead to a comedown or hangover after the intoxication has ended. What symptoms do people experience? Comedowns can be physical and emotional in nature. A pounding head and nausea are common hangover symptoms. People can feel achy and exhausted after taking a substance. Their stomach might be upset, or they might feel ravenously hungry. And that's before we get onto the emotional side of a comedown. People can feel really down, shedding a tear at the most unexpected thing, or feel quite emotionally flat. Symptoms of anxiety are also a feature of some comedowns, and some people feel irritable as well. What causes a comedown? It's surprisingly hard to research the after-effects of taking a substance. This is true for regulated drugs like alcohol, and even more so for illicit substances, 
While you can bring people into a lab and give them a substance and see what happens, it's more challenging to keep them there for a day or two to find out what happens afterwards. Even so, we understand a bit about what causes people to feel ropey following an evening of excess. Headaches are likely to be caused by dehydration. Not only do some drugs impact how the body absorbs water and how a person then expels it afterwards, but they also impact on judgement and might lead a person to be less likely to look after themselves while intoxicated. Exhaustion is a common come-down symptom, and this is very probably because drugs can impact on the amount and quality of sleep that a person has. Stimulants clearly interfere with sleep, but even drugs like alcohol will impact on the quality of sleep you have. Substances will also play a role in the type of things you get up to while intoxicated, and this can affect the come down. Surprisingly enough, people who are leaping around in a club until 5am will feel worse the next day than people who spent the evening at home on the sofa. Psychoactive substances also impact neurotransmitters in the brain. MDMA, for example, is thought to increase the levels of serotonin in the brain, and what goes up must come down. There's some suggestion that serotonin levels will fall below their baseline levels in the day or two following MDMA use before they return to normal. Another potential reason people might feel rough after taking drugs is because the body might react to them or adulterants they might contain as something dangerous to it, a poison, and try and get rid of it. This might explain stomach problems, vomiting and diarrhoea. And of course, individual differences between people in terms of their genetics, their metabolism, their liver function, hormone levels and all sorts of things will impact on their ability to bounce back after intoxication. Can a come down be avoided? A come down can easily be avoided by not taking a substance the night before. For people who do take a substance, some of the symptoms can be mitigated. Headaches can be minimised by drinking water or even better isotonic drinks that replace any electrolytes you might have sweated out. Allowing yourself time to recover will help deal with the exhaustion you might feel. And if you are feeling physical symptoms such as tremors or impaired vision, it's dangerous to consider driving or operating heavy machinery, even if you wanted to. Now, as with the podcast, busting myths and misconceptions is really important to me. So the final audiobook excerpt that I'm going to share with you today explores some of these around uh, caffeine. Myths and misconceptions. For such a commonly used substance, there's a load of myths and misconceptions about caffeine. Here are some of my favourites. There's more caffeine in tea than coffee. I think the root of this misconception is largely well understood by people now, due in no small part to the British TV programme QI, where it's been extensively debunked. It is true that by dry weight, tea leaves contain more caffeine than coffee beans. But once you've brewed your tea or percolated your coffee, and bearing in mind the large variation in caffeine levels detailed above, in the resulting drink, there will be, on average, substantially more caffeine in a mug of coffee than in a mug of tea. So this is a myth. Green tea has no caffeine. This one really depends on your brewing technique. Green and black tea leaves on average contain similar amounts of caffeine, so again it comes down to personal preference. The amount of caffeine that makes it into your cuppa will be dependent on how long you steep it for, how much you stir the pot, how hot you have the water when you add it to the leaves, and such like. But green tea isn't a caffeine-free alternative to builder's tea. That's a myth. It's impossible to have too much caffeine. I heard this myth firsthand at an event encouraging women to get into cycling, spoken by a man claiming to be a sports scientist. 
As has been detailed extensively above, this is very much not the case. Caffeine overdose is unpleasant, it won't make riding a bike easier, quite the opposite, and too much caffeine can be fatal, particularly if consumed as a supplement rather than in a beverage, where consuming higher quantities is easier as the caffeine is far more concentrated. It's a myth. Caffeine doesn't have any effect unless you're already using it. This is only partly a myth. All the physiological effects of caffeine will occur whether you've used it before or not. And in fact, due to tolerance, they might even have a stronger effect in people unaccustomed to caffeine. But there's also a growing body of evidence that suggests that a lot of the seemingly cognitive-enhancing effects of coffee, the improvement in alertness and concentration, maybe even reaction time, might actually be a reversal of the impairment of caffeine withdrawal. A study led by a former colleague of mine in Bristol, Professor Peter Rogers, investigated the impact of caffeine on regular users who had been asked to abstain overnight before the study, and people who rarely or never consume it. Individuals came to the lab in the morning, around 10.30am. They were given some baseline tasks to do, then given either caffeine or a placebo at around 11.15am and again at 12.45pm. The experiment involved two further testing sessions at 1.45pm and 3.30pm. Rogers and his colleagues found that of the 379 participants recruited into this fairly epic study, those who reported hardly ever or never consuming caffeine got no benefit on various cognitive tasks from consuming caffeine, while the abstinent coffee drinkers showed improvement when given caffeine compared to those who were given placebo but only up to the level that the non-coffee drinkers were already operating at, whether they had placebo or caffeine. Further analysis of data from the same experiment found that caffeine appeared to decrease sleepiness in those who did not normally consume it, even after just one dose. However, there was no evidence that caffeine improved performance on reaction time or memory tasks for people who didn't usually consume caffeine. And conversely, for people used to higher levels of caffeine but in the placebo condition, their performance was markedly worse, particularly later in the afternoon. So this is partly true. As a minor aside, I know these results quite well, because Peter was interviewed by a German TV company about this research. As part of it, the company wanted to reenact the study so they could film it. I was a research assistant loitering around the department the day they were filming, and I got roped in to play the part of a high-caffeine consumer, beginning the day being sluggish, but after receiving my dose of caffeine, perking right up. I really tested my acting chops that day. Decaffeinated coffee and tea still contain caffeine. This isn't a myth. It's not possible to create coffee or tea that doesn't contain any caffeine. Decaf beverages are usually made by stripping the caffeine out of the tea leaves or coffee beans, and this removes most but not all of the caffeine. This is normally done with solvents such as methylene chloride or ethyl acetate, which are themselves then removed, or using carbon dioxide. There's a third possible process called the water process, or Swiss water process after the company that performs it, which uses water and a separate batch of green coffee beans with caffeine removed to draw the caffeine out of the beans. This method isn't possible for tea. It's generally the case that decaffeinated drinks contain an order of magnitude lower dose of caffeine than their caffeinated relative, at least 10 to 20 times less caffeine. Some studies where low doses of caffeine have been administered suggest that a psychoactive effect can still be felt even at these levels, so if you want to eliminate caffeine completely from your life, decaffeinated teas and coffees might need to go as well. So this is true. 
there we go. Thank you all so much for supporting the podcast over the years. And I really hope that if you get the book, you love it as much as I enjoyed researching and writing it. Stay tuned to the podcast because there are more episodes coming up every two weeks, including an episode about drugs education with the really inspirational DSM Foundation and a very frank and fascinating interview with Twitter's secret drug addict. So I'll see you next time. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.